this is Mona. And this is Aaliyah. You're listening to A Devil's Tale. This is our very first episode. Okay, so this guy, um, his nickname is The Smiling Killer. And um, it's because he looks very unassuming. He looks very friendly. So when he got caught, obviously, like it was a big case. So a lot of media rushed to his jail cell and was like, oh, let's do an interview. And so this is what he said. I'm paraphrasing, but this is literally kind of what he said. Anyone who knows me knows that I never argue or fought with anyone. When I committed those crimes, I was a different person. I was as scary as the devil. The anger I had inside of me from years of oppressing my feelings were all released at once. My consciousness was completely out of my control. I also just think it's funny how everyone who's a killer gets a special name. Like the smiling killer, the night walker. Right. And you know what's funny? In some articles that I read, sometimes they named him the Chinese BTK killer. I don't know who the BTK killer is. Oh my god, you have to look him up. Okay, I'll look into that. So his last name is Zhao, and he was born on September 5th, 1972, in a very small remote village in Inner Mongolia. That's a province in China. He was very small in terms of his physique, which led to him being bullied a lot at school. And I wasn't sure, like, why. But he stopped going to school, I think, after ninth grade. I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the town that he's from. His family was pretty poor, and he started working, like, right after that. So he couldn't be more than, like, 12 or 13 years old. Oh, wow. So basically, he started working like small, odd jobs around town. And then when he got a little bit older, he started doing construction work with his dad. He was always living um, in poverty in really sort of shitty areas in his city. Tried to like drive illegal calves, which is like a thing in China, even to this day. Like you can make quick money by doing that. He drove illegal calves? Yeah. Illegal cabs in China, it's called a black car. Basically, you get in and you tell the driver where you're going. And then they'd be like, okay, that's 10 bucks. So it'll be like a little bit cheaper than if you were going by the meter. But, you know, like if you're going on a business trip, you won't get a receipt. So you won't get like reimbursement. So a lot of people like to take these so-called illegal cabs when they're paying out of their own pocket. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And then he tried to open a convenience store, and that also failed. When they searched his house, he had so many books. He loved reading. And so that's like one thing I feel like how the world saw him is very different than how he saw himself. And I feel like when that happens, people get really angry and frustrated. So you're saying like he saw himself as educated because he had all these books and he had this interest. I think he knew he was smart. So I think he probably felt like he deserved opportunities that he never got. So he got a little bit older. And then his family is like, you know what? It's time for you to get married. How old? Early 20s. 
So his family kind of got involved. Suddenly, they were like, "We found someone for you." So this woman is from a small town. This town is like a little bit bigger, a little bit more well developed than the village that Zhao was from. And he was really excited about it. And they got married in ten days. <laughs> oh wow! But he did wonder, like, oh, why would she say yes to this marriage? Like, we barely know each other. I'm poor. She's from a better town than I am. But as time went on, because obviously ten days, you're not gonna know this person. He found out that she married him because before meeting him, she had a child out of wedlock with somebody else, and she was gonna run away with this man. But her family found out. They locked her in their house, and they basically took away her child, and the man was never seen again. The family basically forced her to marry Zhao, and that's why she said yes. Oh, that's so sad. Isn't that so sad? Yeah, it's depressing. You know, I feel like from what I read, like you know, he felt like he was a failure, and this marriage came, and this woman came through. He felt better about himself. You know, he's like, at least I have. A wife. When he found out, he was completely crushed. He obviously pursued a divorce. He basically became pretty lost with his life, and so he began traveling to the neighboring towns and cities and doing odd jobs. Zhao wasn't close with his siblings, and he basically had no friends. And so whenever he needed company, he basically would pay for sex. That's sort of how he dealt with his loneliness. He ran out of money very quickly, so he began stealing and robbing people's houses. A few months after he did all of these petty crimes, it just didn't satisfy him anymore, and it basically escalated into rape and murder. Wait, what? <laughs> It's kind of following like somewhat of an understandable pattern, and then for it to just escalate there—that's a lot. American serial killers that I know about, for some of them, like you know, they like kill animals or abuse animals from like teenage years, and then like well into their like twenties or thirties, they start killing human beings. This guy is like three months later. Now we've very fast escalated into murder. So the very first crime he committed was on April ninth, nineteen ninety six. So if he was born in 1972, so he was 24. Um, but I'm gonna talk about this later because this involves another trial. So we're gonna talk about his second case. So five months after the first murder, which is in September of 1996, he broke into a young woman's apartment, raped her, and strangled her to death. Oh my god! The third case to me is really really disturbing. So. Two months later, he stopped a twelve-year-old girl on the street. He looked so unassuming and so friendly. This girl wasn't particularly alarmed by him, and he persuaded her to take him to her house. And he basically told her, "You know, I'm a traveler. I don't have family around. I'm. I don't have any money. I'm super thirsty. I just want a glass of water." When they got to Her house. He raped her, and killed her, strangled her. Then, in the summer of 
he traveled to a neighboring city called Hulhalt, which is like a inner Mongolian city. He strangled a middle-aged woman to death, raped her dead body. Oh, my God. I was just going to say, are they all like shorter women and girls? Like, is there, because it doesn't seem like there's a type. There isn't a type. So in between the 12-year-old and the second murder, um, he did rape other women. But because he doesn't kill everyone he rapes, and he was doing these in different cities. They were all close by each other, but it wasn't in the same city. By now, we have four cases, but the cops didn't connect them. They didn't realize this is a serial killer. They felt like it was just random cases of raping and murder. Exactly a year later, in the summer of 1998, he kidnapped a girl, a 16-year-old girl, into the woods, strangled her to death, and then raped her. So in between 1998 to 2005, he raped 20-plus women, and he committed countless of thefts and petty crimes. So a seven-year period, he didn't kill anyone. But he was in various relationships with multiple women at the same time. And which is interesting because I have a picture of him. He is not good looking at all. But apparently, according to the woman that he stated, he's very attentive and he's very sensitive. Um, But yeah, so all these women are like, oh my God, like he was the best boyfriend I've ever had. Why did they break up then in these relationships? I think a lot of times he broke it up with them. That's also the interesting part because he moved around so much. Mm. He'd be like, oh, I have to move to a different city because this job needs me. And we can't continue this relationship because, you know, we're not going to live together anymore. So between the seven-year hiatus of killing, he did go to jail, though, because he got caught doing thefts and petty crimes. But no one has ever suspected him for anything else, right? So that made him feel like, oh, like, I'm pretty good at this. So he got really confident. They fingerprinted him. So he's like, oh, they're dumb. I'm going to get away with this. January 2nd, 2005, a day after New Year's Day, he went out to hunt his next target. And he spotted uh, this female cab driver. He gave her a random address. And as they were approaching a more remote area, he asked her if she'd be down to hang out and have some fun. He got so pissed because she said no. He jumped her so fast she didn't realize what the hell was happening and he tied her up with telephone cords and then he started raping her in her car and she was like begging him the whole time to let her go and let her live basically and she was like i'll give you all the money that i made today you can even take this car if you want just let me go and he was not moved by her words at all and so after he raped her he strangled her to death So he drove around, found a ditch, dumped her body in that ditch, and then went to a restaurant, (laughs) had some lunch. Oh, my God. Took her cab car and started driving around town, pretending to be a cab driver, and basically started to hunt his next target on the same day. Wow. So back to back. Yeah. 
And so as he was driving around, he spotted another woman waiting for the bus at this bus stop. And he offered her a discounted ride. And so she got into the car. He knew that area really well. He basically started driving the opposite direction and then back to the remote area and started raping this woman. After he raped this woman, he didn't kill her. And he started driving again. And this woman was like, fuck this. And so she jumped out of the moving vehicle and she was running and she found a police station. Oh, and she remembered the license plate number. She gave the cops the license plate number and described what Zhao looked like to a sketch artist. So the cops freak out because then they're like, wait a minute, do we like have a serial rapist on our hands? Like what the hell's going on? So then on the same day, police found the cab driver's body in that ditch. A few days later, they found the stolen cab at a tow yard, but the car was completely burned. So they weren't able to get any DNA evidence from it. So this happened in January, and it wasn't until October when cops found him and arrested him. Zhao's neighbor, he saw the sketch on the news, and the neighbor knew his name. So the neighbor gave Zhao's name to the police, and the police was like, okay, let's just look up this guy real quick. And he has such extensive record, right, with these petty crimes. But because of these petty crimes, they have his fingerprints on record. And they matched his print to the prints that they lifted from these crime scenes. Like it was 100% match. So he got arrested after he killed the sixth woman. It took about 10 years for the final verdict to be delivered. And this is why I skipped the first murder. The first murder happened on April 9th, 1996. Zhao was roaming around after work. And um, the factory that Zhao was working at during that time had like a public restroom nearby. And basically, he decided to go into the woman's restroom and hid in one of the stalls. And his plan was to wait for a woman to come in and attack her. He waited 40 minutes in that bathroom stall. A woman finally came in to use the restroom. And he jumped out and he started raping her. Oh my god. A young guy named Hu Ge. I'm going to call him H, which is his initial. Um, so he happened to pass by this restroom when he heard this woman like screaming. H also worked at a factory nearby. And so on April 9th, H had an afternoon shift at the factory. And then he went on a dinner break with a colleague of his. And after dinner, they were walking back to the factory for their night shifts when H realized that he forgot to pick up something from his home, which is only a few minutes away. So H told his colleague to wait for him and then he's going to go grab that thing from his apartment real quick. H was walking towards his apartment when he passed by this public restroom and he heard this woman screaming. He wanted to check it out, but he was a little bit scared. And then so he's like, 
my colleague is literally two minutes away down the block. I'm gonna go grab him. Then we can check it out together. So he goes. He grabs his colleague. They came back to the restroom, but this woman was already dead by the time they came back. So they're like completely freaked out. They've never seen anything like this. And so H is like, "I'm gonna call the cops. Like we need to call the cops." But his colleague was like, "I don't think we should call the cops because they're gonna pin this on us." So in the nineties, China, um, they kind of had this law: if a murder case happens, it has to be solved. So his colleague was like, "No fucking way! We're gonna go down for this shit." But H was like, "I don't care about that. This woman deserves justice. We need to call the cops." So they did, and then police show up and they interviewed H and his colleague twice that same night. After the second interview that night, H was never let out. H had his trial in less than a month. He was sentenced to death for this crime that he did not commit. Oh my god! So did he die? Yeah. So this is where it gets really sad. So at the end of his trial, he turned to his dad and he said, "They beat me. They don't give me food or water. I'm so hungry, and my jail cell is so cold." So sad. It's so sad. The most fucked up part about this: they executed H three weeks after his trial. It's pretty obvious they killed him so fast because you know his parents probably would have done everything to appeal to a higher court, and the higher court would have seen there was no enough evidence. They would have overturned the verdict, which would have made this really bad look for the judge, the police department, and the prosecutor. When they executed him, they didn't inform his parents. So his dad takes a bus, goes to the jail, and he gets to the area where, like, you have to sign in as a visitor and stuff. And the person in charge of signing visitors in was like, "Wait, uh, he was executed yesterday." So basically, an innocent guy paid for Zhao's first murder. Because of a very corrupted system, when Zhao was arrested, of course he confessed to everything because he's such a narcissist. He wants credit to everything that he's done. His first trial came around. The prosecutor listed everything, all of the five murders he did, all of the rapes, and all of the petty crimes, but they omitted everything about the first crime that he did. And Zhao, like the criminal, the psychopath. Was so confused that he turned to his lawyer and was like, "Uh, why are they not mentioning anything about the first one?" Zhao wrote a letter to the court judge to have his first murder added to the list of the cases, and then the court judge was like, "Uh, that's a closed case, and somebody has already paid for the crime, so I don't know what you're talking about." H's parents heard about this, and then there were other prosecutors. They were all like, "What the hell is happening? We need to reinvestigate this case. We need to open up this first murder." So, with all of the pressure from you know coming from all sides, the city and the police department ended up agreeing, "Okay, we're gonna reinvestigate the first murder、uh, from 1996." There was so much corruption and covering up for each other. In 2014, they had a second trial for Zhao, where they added. 
the first murder to his record. Simultaneously, they held another trial to give back H's innocence. The city paid H's parents about five hundred thousand dollars. Suspended about twenty personnel that were connected to the wrongful conviction of H, and then Zhao was executed in two thousand nineteen. So pretty recent. That's crazy that it took. So convicted in two thousand five, two thousand fourteen, second trial, and then two thousand nineteen, actually executed versus the three weeks. Right. It's interesting because I feel like there's a lot about H and in his family and like. His kind of backstory, but with the victims, were they mostly like not very well known? Because the system in China, I think they try to not give out names. I think it is to protect their families and their privacy. When I read the part about H, I was like, I think I should do this. I just want to put it out there in the universe that he's innocent. His parents are still alive. I just feel so bad for them to have lived all these years. Being like shunned in their small town. Oh my god! Yeah, I hope they got redemption. I mean, the five hundred thousand dollars is so measly too. I know it's nothing. But also, that girl who ran to the police department is amazing for being able to do that. I just don't think I would have had the courage or even like the stamina to do it. I wouldn't. I would probably just like roll around on the street and like not be able to get up. I mean, I probably would have like lost my mind and just like start screaming in the middle of the street because I just probably can't like comprehend what the hell just happened to me. Yeah, much less like find a police department and then memorize this license plate and then run there. My mom always tells me in her culture that. If when your life is threatened, you don't fight with every single like ounce of your like spirit, then you deserve to die. <laughs> it's like a really fucked up thing to say, but that's what she always would tell me. So it's like if you're in that moment, like you have to put a thousand percent of your energy into survival. I believe that though. I feel like a lot of immigrants or like refugees and people who have just like witnessed crazy shit, like. They sort of understand that sentiment because, I mean, I've never went through something like this, but I can't imagine sort of life and death and your decision in that one second really could change the course of your life. Like this woman, right? She's like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna like jump out of this car. Like if I'm gonna die today, at least try it. Maybe I can get away." And she did. That's why I don't understand like some horror films where they're just acting stupid. I guess convenient death for the storyline. <laughs> But I feel like it would be more compelling if you were like, "Wow, this person's so smart. They're really in a bad situation, and they're so smart navigating it." You know, like I, that would put me more on edge than, "Okay, they're doing something completely ridiculous, and I know they're going to die in five seconds." By the way, did you decide on your、uh, defense weapon? Oh my god! Ah,、uh, we're both Asian women. What happened in Atlanta is very heartbreaking. I'm just thinking to myself. Maybe that bulletproof vest really isn't a bad idea. I feel like random gun versus like a mass shooting are kind of different probabilities too. We were in Vegas together when the the shooting there happened. Yeah, it was crazy. So me, Steph, and Cassie were in a car. I don't remember. It was a, like a lift ride, and we were like passing by that concert. 
that was all outdoors. And we're like, what's going on here? Maybe we should check this out. And we ended up not, but we were talking to our Lyft driver and Steph said, I don't have internet right now. And I kind of like it because I don't have to hear about all of these shootings that happen every day, all these mass shootings. Aaliyah will just text me when it happens and that, that'll be my news source, but I don't have to be like overloaded with it. And our Lyft driver said, well, in Australia, we don't have that problem because we have gun control. This was the conversation we had like a few hours before the shooting took place as we were like driving by there. And then my friend stayed. And so he was on lockdown in his hotel. But it's just crazy to me that we're having that conversation. I think it just shows you how commonplace all of this is. Even when I was going through um, school, we had to do um, shooter drills. It was weird to do those kind of things because um, one time my teacher let in the principal who was screaming, like, let me in at the door. And then she got yelled at because she's like, all these kids would have died because you let me in. You're not supposed to let me in. Oh, my God. But also, like, she's a teacher. She's not supposed to be making these kind of decisions. I know. And then they would teach us, like, hold your textbooks in front of your face and try throwing them. Oh, like, that's going to stop the bullet. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode. And we will see you next time.